0: Juliet Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 271 of Dogcast Radio, which is all about dogs, of course. Later we'll be hearing all about Ringcraft.
1: Ringcraft in essence is making your dog look as good as he possibly can. In the show ring. A rubbish handler can make the best dog in the world look decidedly average. Conversely, a great handler can make an average dog look really, really good.
0: Before that, we hear from Shana Denny, who has founded Dog Drop, a dog daycare service with a difference, which was inspired by her own dog, Poppy, who is a mini chocolate dapple dachshund. Oh, so cute. The quadruple threat there. Mini chocolate dapple dachshund. Now, it
2: wasn't just
0: because of her dog that I wanted to talk to Shayna, but it was where we started.
2: She definitely is the the one that gets more attention. I grew up with Dachshunds as well, and had a chocolate dapple Dachshund growing up too. So it was always my my dream to get one later in life as well.
0: Yeah. Oh, they're beautiful. They're beautiful. I I aspire to that. Maybe one day.
2: <laughs> Never too late. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We'll we'll see. I'm I'm working on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> So now it's Poppy, really, that you've got to thank for this this career that you've got now. So what happened? Because it was it was looking for daycare for Poppy. Is that right? That made you make this big change. So so tell me about this.
2: Yeah. So I was not in the pet space and uh, in around 2017, I actually moved back from China. I was living and working in China for about four years. And I actually saw a dog, my mom sent me a link online because I was always obsessed with chocolate dapple dachshunds as well. And my mom sent me a link to one and I was like, that's the one. Um, And so it was sort of right when I was moving back or looking to move back to the U.S. And so I lined up speaking with the breeder at a similar time. So Poppy and I, we basically almost met at LAX and I thought, (laughs) (laughs) um, So I thought after almost four years living abroad, it would be a great idea to move back and get a dog on the same day. And I was working from home most of the time. And so I was more than capable to watch her. I was home working and I realized she just really needed socialization and mental stimulation, especially as a puppy. That socialization aspect was huge. I, of course, I had time on my hands. I was taking her out for many walks and she'd sort of come back from a walk and be like, oh, like that's it. I'd be up for a half hour, one hour, 90 minutes, and it just never really did the trick compared to when I'd meet up with like local dog groups or having the dogs off leash and run around at the park. Yeah, I started looking into dog daycares and I was like, Oh, it'd be great to just drop her off for an hour or two and run around. So that's really how I got interested in this and really unraveled my my next uh, part of my career and starting Dog Drop.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love things like this that are. Inspired by the dog in your life, yeah. I, I, that's that's lovely because that's what happened to us with with Dogcast. Really, we we just it was my Labrador buddy, and and I just love that. And, and dogs come into our lives and sometimes reach some big big changes, you know. And I I love that. And also, if it's if that's a service that you are looking for, it's a service that somebody else is going to be looking for, isn't it? That's you know. And I think I mean let's let's go to that. So the idea of being able to. Drop your dog off for an hour or two. And then, you know, I think that's brilliant. And, and that, I was mooching on your, your website, looking around on your website, and it says, no appointment necessary. Drop in. I mean, that's great from the point of view of the, the dog owner. That, because sometimes you go, Oh, yes, I just want to go off and do such and such today. Okay. That's great. That's a challenge to organise for you, isn't it?
2: Yeah. So for us, I started dog drop. I didn't even know that it was going to look at be a dog daycare. Right. So I had this challenge as a dog parent and I kept it somehow fixated on it until it became such a pain point. I thought that I would have to solve it, but it was really focused around convenience, flexibility, quality, and technology. So I built it and I'm like, I don't even know exactly what that's going to look like and what shape or form. And so I think that really helped shape the model. And then what we ended up with is a smaller footprint. So dog drop it so that we can be in very convenient locations where people yeah. don't have to go out of their way. So we kind of checked off that box. The other part was on that flexibility because like many dog parents, my age as well, we're not planning. I'm on the go and now my friend calls and I'm here or have a business meeting somewhere else or a dinner came up, or I want to squeeze in a workout at a certain time. And so I wanted Something that would be able to match. So because we started with that from the ground up, that's been built into our operations, where I think it gets very challenging if you take a traditional dog daycare that's really based off of the half day, full day model and really based off of the drop-off periods of, you know, from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. or drop offs and then pick up from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. or whatever those hours are, you build your operations around that. So we kind of ditched all the rules of daycare and said, what would we want if we were dog parents and uh, organize the business model with with that perspective?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which is brilliant. I have to say, being a dog mom yourself, you really know what, you know, I'm, I'm, I was really thinking, yeah, this would reassure me. So one of the things I, I mean, there's there's many, many things that I like about your, your daycare uh, dog drop. So let's, I mean, one of the things that really appealed to me, I'll, I'll go to that, is you can get photo updates during the day. That is brilliant because I can know in real time my dog is okay right now.
2: We want people to be able to get in touch with the people caring for their dog, right? So when my dog was going to a dog daycare, there was really, I guess there was a landline I could call and maybe someone at the front would sometimes pick up, but it was sort of like, if you wanted communication, you got to drive over there to get the update. And of course, you're not going to drive over there and get the update. You're just going to wait to to pick up time. Not a that crazy of a helicopter dog parrot. Um <laughs> But I think that was a huge aspect on we're so like that convenience and that quality and trust so that people can, you know, text us and we will respond. And we also want to be proactive and we practice a lot of what we call is like proactive hospitality. If we know that Julie loves updates every time after her dog eats and she wants to know about it, we want to update you before you even have to ask.
0: Aww. And so
2: that's really our goal there is to keep parents informed. You know, we don't want to we also want them to feel like they can be present in their life and not have to check on the phone or watch any cameras or anything. But if they need to reach us and we can reach them, um, that we're there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's lovely. And I mean, again, I know one of the things is it's personalized care. And I think that's brilliant because talking about you know the the day to day, the realities of, of having your dog is. Yes, sometimes it's important. I want to know whether they've eaten, have they drunk. You know, sometimes let's get to the nitty gritty. Have they done a poo? You know, I need to know that sometimes. Was it loose? Was it normal? But, you know, I need that level. It sounds like that, that, you know, I can I could have that with you.
2: Definitely. I mean, one of the most comical things sometimes at the end of the day is to go through the um, conversations with parents. Half of them, it's either about bowel movements or cute photos of their dogs. Um, so it's definitely, I'm like, we can start a whole social media account on the the conversations that we we have with parents throughout the day. But at the end, we, our team is fully trained, right? Yes. So they're trained in dog behavior. We're very aware, you know, yes. if something's like a loose stool, is it consistent? Is it, you know, is there blood in the stool? We want to inform parents and our team is trained to, you know, we're not veterinarians in any way and we we don't market ourselves as that but if we notice some unusual behavior you know whether it's physical behavioral issues we do want to notify the parents and so that they see dog drop as a trustworthy place not hey this person watched my dog they handed them over and all was good you know we want to keep them informed of the good the bad the highs and the lows yeah
0: yeah and that's excellent because that was certified staff you know and trained staff who understand dog behavior It's so important because you need to look at that dog. Are they coming in happily? Are they unhappy? You know, are they exhibiting stress or do they they look, look like they've got pain somewhere? That's really, really important, isn't it?
2: Yeah, especially we spend. I mean, there are some dogs. Our model is really based off. We created this category of the quick stops where you can go in and out, even as many times as you'd like throughout the day. But there are some dogs that need full day care. So if you think that we spend, you know, up to eight plus hours with the dog, ultimately our team of we call them the drop operators, the daycare attendants, they could be spending more awake hours with someone's dog than the parent yeah. and so the amount of time that we spend you know engaging with them you know touching them doing body checks that we might be able to notice things that maybe you know just kind of flew under the radar from their parent as well
0: yeah yeah I I love that because it's not just I'm going to put my dog somewhere and they'll I know they'll be contained you know they won't actually be yeah. on the streets It's it's more than that isn't it you know they're going to be cared for and looked after and their needs are going to be met.
2: Yeah, exactly. And if it's not by us, we can also provide recommendations and say, Hey, there's might be something we don't know what this is, but we noticed it and you might want to get it checked out and continuously throughout the day, engaging with dogs with different activities, whether it's uh mental stimulation, brain games, activities, and then some more fun things that let's be honest, are more geared towards the parents, the the photo shoots, stuff of that sort. And then for us, rest and relaxation is just as important. And so so we also like to educate dog parents it's not all about go 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 that dogs they're stimulated in an environment as well and that they can just get as tired from mental stimulation as well from physical activity
0: yeah yeah and learn to settle you know it's not as you say it's not just go go crazy it's yeah. have some fun as you say with the right level of stimulation and then have, have some rest and that's i think sometimes that's come where we come adrift we're so focused on let's keep this dog busy and it's not, as you say, it's not just about physical activity, which can overstimulate them. And then we need to just, yep. okay, we chill now. That's
2: Yep. Yeah, and really dogs fun. like to be on a on a break too. I mean, we'll get a French bulldog who doesn't know when to stop, right? They're go, go, go. And you're like, hey, hold on, buddy. Let's take a little break. And they're like, oh, thank you. I would have yes. never stopped for the next six hours. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Now, I, I often refer to dogs as people. And I used to say of, of uh, Buddy, you know, he, he's not really, he's not really a, a dog person. And my husband would look at me and go, a dog person? Did you hear what you said? Yeah, I did. He's, he's a people person. He's not really a dog person. But that's another thing I, I liked on your website. Dogs are people too. And they want to hang out with their friends. And I think if you look at it like that, it's because I think also sometimes when you take your dog to daycare, there's, just like when you take your child to to play, play group or play school or whatever. You know, there's some some guilt there of, you know, I should be there all the time. But actually, they're, they're having a good time, aren't they, with you?
2: Yeah, I, that really resonates with many people. Um, and my co-founder, Greer, came up with that, and people just absolutely love it. I think when you look at our brand as a whole as well with our values, that – we really try to give the dogs human attributes. Um, of course, we understand dogs are are canines. Um yeah. we get that, but in terms of they want to have their own social life, like some people they they feel guilty and it's like, no, when their dog comes in, they they have their own life um outside. And it's great to give them different environments to thrive and As we all know, dogs will behave differently. My dog behaves very differently with me than is if she was with you, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Maybe even better with you um, (laughs) as well because she wants to protect and guard me. So Dog Drop is an opportunity for dogs to build their own independence, which we believe is really important as well for them to behave hopefully better inside their own house and better outside walking around with um, other people and other interactions. So and even when it comes to our branding, we really like to stand out and we're not as kitschy as other dog brands as well. We take the dogs, you know, quite seriously. We want to give them the, the respect that we, we believe they deserve and they all have their own personalities.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's the important point to, to address, because, again, I, I sort of to my own dog, I refer to myself as mummy and then to my daughter's dog I'm grandma. I know, I know. <laughs> but you know and I'll, I'll, that's how I feel. And and I do think that we are pet parents in that we we meet their needs, you know, we we feed them, we educate them, we entertain them, we look after their healthcare. There's all those aspects that we take care of. So I don't mean it in a, you know, a, a fluffy silly I'm going to put pajamas on them or whatever it is. You know, I mean it in a I'm going to meet their needs just like I would for a child, and I think they live in the same space as you, you, human children do. So I think that's an important thing that we, you know, it's it's not done in a, a silly way when we say that. It's it, it there's a real purpose there, and I think it's it's a good thing actually.
2: Yeah, it's almost like co-living co, co- living and it, uh, independence as well, right? So we like feed the dog. We take care of their veterinary needs as well, their health, their behavioral, their food, diet and nutrition, behavior, mental stimulation, their social life too. So it's a lot that goes into it. And we always avoid dog owners, just again, going back to our brand too, so that we're giving, we don't, of course, we do know that someone, there is an ownership over a dog. We're not, you know, that, that naive in that sense or that fluffy, but that it gives the dog, you know, the respect to be themselves, because if you completely own, there's going to be dogs. And as a responsible dog parent, you're, you should be knowledgeable about the dog breed before getting a dog about their, you know, if, if you know what it is right? Um, so that you're able to give the dog their needs in terms of environment, climate, everything in between. Yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And the, the downsides of that, poss- that you know, possible downsides, like when I first got a Labrador, I did not understand why he kept, and it was always the laundry basket, dirty laundry basket. He's got to get it. And you, but it smelled to him. It smells nice. And I'm, I'm fetching these things. And he was just with the phrase orally fixated. He just picked everything up in his mouth and, 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 He grew out of it. But, you know, you have to understand the breed or mix or even just live with the individual and see what they're like. But you can't just deny that heritage. They've got their own little personalities and and that may be to do with breed, or you know. But they've got that, haven't they? And you need to learn to live with that.
2: Yeah, and then give them their boundaries and structure as well so that they can be set up for success.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, talking about your breed, because this was another thing that I was really interested in. Obviously, it's female-led. It's LGBTQI led and venture backed. So do you want to tell me a little bit about all, all of, I've lumped them together, but do you want to tell me a bit about that?
2: Yeah, sure. So I started, um, Dog Drop with my co founder Greer. So we're both LGBTQ, uh, founders as well, which is, you know, really kind of part of our story and both as a, a woman and venture back founded company, um, as well, which is another part that we're, we're proud of that. You know, starting this business, and again, we have a big technology aspect as well. Hmm. So, we built all the software ourselves to run our locations, um, and so that we can better and more efficiently run the back end of our locations, as well as providing a better member experience to our parents. So, when that comes to managing their profile, health records, all their ease of access, their utilization of dog drop and then for us we're franchising the company as well too so it's really important that we have technology to offer one for our general managers or admin of the the business but for our franchisees so that they can actually run their daily operations.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's excellent. Now, so tell me about where your locations are now and where do you hope to have locations?
2: We started in Los Angeles. We have two locations in Los Angeles now, and we have a location in Denver, Colorado. We have another franchise location um, on the way slated for around March 2023 in Fort Lauderdale in Florida uh, with more locations under development there in Florida as well. And we're, we're just excited to expand primarily within the U.S. at this time. Um, if you can tell from our locations, of course, L.A. is a, you know, a top tier market, but we're also really interested in secondary markets. We just happen to be from Los Angeles and it's an amazing place to launch a business. Um, but we're really excited about like the Denver, Fort Lauderdale's stuff like phoenix salt lake city charlotte there are so many markets that um we can i believe bring a better dog daycare experience to these type of neighborhoods
0: yeah yeah excellent excellent and what kind of feedback are you getting from owners because so for example when we've gone away on holiday i happened to to know the person that ran the company but i left my dog i don't normally i normally leave my dog with my mum but she couldn't do that. Yeah, yeah. Grandmas are great. Dumb grandmas. <laughs> um, but I couldn't that time. So I, I said to my friend um, who happened to run a, a holiday care um, company, can you find somewhere for Buddy? He was. 15, he wasn't always continent, and I'm thinking, who on earth is going to step up and go, Yes, I will take this Labrador on that might poo on my carpet. Anyway, there was a, a couple that had a Labrador that was 14, anyway, had similar problems. And so, Buddy had a built in friend there, it was great, that was wonderful. But I had to say to my friend, I am going to cry when you come to pick him up, I will cry. And I don't mean I will sniffle, and you know, I mean ugly, gasping, crying because you're taking my baby, even though I've asked you to, yeah. You know? So, I understand, you know, I'm a very, when you say helicopter dog parent, that's me. I, I can't be hands off. i you know, I am obsessed. I, I want to know they're okay. But I get the feeling that with you, for a start, there's that reassurance. I can, I can start with small amounts of time and all that kind of thing. So I can imagine that it's a huge relief to a lot of people to find someone who gets me, you know, how I worry about my dog. So what kind of feedback have you had from owners?
2: Yeah, I, I think I'll start they get that hopefully their their first interaction with dog drop. So we're really uh provide a more concierge and hands-on onboarding experience. So once you sign up for your dog's good fit test, we'll have someone reach out to you as well before your good fit test, which is the dog behavioral assessment yeah. that your dog needs to pass so that we make sure it's a good space um, for your dog and vice versa. And so you get that from the the first interaction that, hey, we're gonna go the extra mile, we'll call your vet. And obtain the vaccination records for you. We understand any questions even before you come for your appointment, we'll answer your pre-appointment questions if if you so have them. And not everyone needs them and you're like, okay, cool, all good. We'll we'll meet you when you come in. Um, So I think we're able to build trust right off the bat through that, those interactions and extra customer experience services that we really deliver on. And, you know, for the most part, I mean, things, even when someone comes onto our website, use our social media, they start noticing quickly that we do things a bit differently. Yeah. And then we really want to make sure that our online experience connects with the offline experience, which is the most important part, right? So you can build all this beautiful, beautiful website, great social media. But if you're not delivering that, when someone comes into your space, then it's all smoke and mirrors. So when someone comes in, then they can meet our team. All of our team is highly trained as well from the, the member care specialists or managers who will speak with the pet parents too. And I think ultimately, like, we get awesome response. I mean, that's why we're adding more locations is that parents are saying, hey, I'm moving to this neighborhood. The number one thing they're missing is a dog drop nearby. Or how do we bring a dog drop to my neighborhood? So if we weren't getting these great responses from pet parents, uh, we'd be focused on on staying where we are, but right now it's just really keeping up with the the parent demand that we're seeing.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's great. And the other, I mean, the other people who you have to please are the dogs. How do the dogs <laughs> react? <laughs>
2: Yeah. And of course, right. When they're in like anyone, i always explain it. Sometimes their first time coming into a dog drop, it's this very similar dropping your kid off at, you know, pre-K. They're like, Oh, I don't know if I'm supposed to go here. And you want to be loyal with your parent. Like, where are you taking me? Where are you dropping me off? But once after the, the third, fourth time, I mean, some dogs, the first time they're, they're all in, they're like, adios, I'm, I'm going in. And some dogs need a handful of times, which is totally normal. And when their parent on that third, fourth time sees their dog you know getting ready to jump out of the car and run on in um and because we put dog drops on the ground floor of apartment buildings a lot of the folks live nearby so they'll happen to go on walks nearby and see their dog kind of pulling them in i think that speaks for itself i mean we we can train the dogs a lot of things but not that so i think parents can see how their dog genuinely feels about their experience
0: yeah Oh, that's lovely. That's, uh, it sounds really great. I can, you know, cause I can imagine Buddy would have, actually, I think Buddy would have just taken to it. Although he could be quite, these are big dogs and they're, you know, I, I'm a little, he, although he's a Labrador, you know, he'd be like, I'm a little dog and I, I he, he would need time sometimes. So I, I think that sounds good. But again, our, our little mischief might be again a little bit more, she can be quite nervous with new situations. So to give them space. Yeah. I think that's, you know, in time.
2: Poppy would need a little warm up. So Poppy, you know, so we totally agree. Every dog is different and to be patient with them and we're as flexible as possible, as long as it's a a safe environment for someone's dog.
0: Yeah, I think when you, particularly if you have a dog who has, I mean, they all have their own preferences and needs, but if you have a dog that's a little bit, can be nervous or can be wary. Yeah, you're coming to it from a deeper understanding, aren't you?
2: Yeah. I mean, that's what, so Poppy would be a, what I say, laugh as like a dog daycare fail at a different <laughs> dog daycare, And that's yeah. why, so she had such bad separation anxiety um, because I was with her all the time. Yeah. So when I would leave her at my, my condo, even for a half hour, she would be howling. She just wasn't used to it. So I was like, let's go to a daycare and really start working on building up her tolerance. Yeah. and. So that's really how it started as well. And so with parents, is you know, dogs are not, we understand, we're not trying to convince anyone. It's also dog daycare is not for every dog. Um, yeah. all dogs are different, and there's never a one size fits all service. Um, and so that's really important for people to understand too. It's we're not a one size fits all. Um, and you know, hopefully we can accommodate most dogs and most parents. Um, but that, that's sort of about it. Um, I think parents, they just need to be patient and also listen to their dog, but routine is really important. So if you do have a dog that is a bit more timid, like like my dog or you know needs to build their tolerance you need to build that in your routine so we'd recommend try to come if you can if your schedule allows you to even every day if you can do a half hour a half hour an hour an hour and start building it up building your dog's tolerance up if you need to be patient with your dog we're willing to and excited to work with you
0: yeah yeah oh that's lovely that's lovely my only other question is are you coming to the uk
2: Uh, open to to franchisees in the UK that would be great Uh, we've actually got a handful it sounds I've spoken with a handful of people in London um, and it sounds like there aren't many dog daycares there a lot of them have the buses that take them to the farms or open areas which sounds absolutely amazing
0: yeah yeah I'm sure I'm sure it would go down well anywhere there's Concerned dog owners, I think it's going to go down well. It's really good. So is there anything else that you haven't had a chance to say yet that you desperately want to tell people?
2: Um, I think we're just really excited to bring Dog Drop to more neighbourhoods and to serve more dog parents. So as we're growing, we're also really interested to continue meeting other folks that are very passionate about pet care and wanting to start their own pet care business.
0: Yeah, yeah. I wonder if you'll see cat drop anywhere. <laughs>
2: With Cat Drop 2024. Um, <laughs> no, you're not the first to say it. We've got Cat Drop, Kid Drop, Husband Drop. Um, <laughs> so, but right now, we'll stick with the dogs. I think so. I think so.
0: That's uh, that's um, that's good. I would.
2: Where can people find out more
0: about you online?
2: Yeah, our website is dogdrop.co. So it's D O G D R O P.co, dogdrop.co.
0: Smashing. That's great.
2: And you're on all the usual social medias, are you? All the usual um, platforms at Dog Drop Co. So you can find us on Instagram or TikTok, Twitter at Dog Drop Co.
0: Redefining what dog daycare is, I love it. Thanks to Shana for sharing her vision with us. And thanks to her dog Poppy for, well, just for being gorgeous. We have the links you need to find out more, so go to dogcastradio.com. Not yet. Keep listening. There's more. Coming up next, find out what RingCraft is. Mm -hmm. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. Did you know and I didn't that show dogs don't just casually stroll into the ring and stand there looking beautiful? Oh no, there's an art, and a knack, and a lot of hard work involved and it's called ringcraft. Kerry Rhodes not only shows her own dogs to great success, she teaches ringcraft as well as teaching canine first aid and has two stunning Rhodesian Ridgebacks. She also has a sense of humour which matches mine and she's always fun. So here we go.
1: Hi Kerry. Hi, nice to speak to you
0: again. And you, yes, always a pleasure. And you and your dogs are wonderful and I love following your adventures and when you write about what you get up to with them, and it can be just a walk or it can be, a, you know, a, you've gone to tell somebody about first aid or whatever it is, but you always make it sound like such a an amusing adventure. You've definitely got more
1: books in you. Well, it's having them. They're the ones that have the books in them. You know, when people say I could write a book about this blumming dog, not really expecting it to be that way. And then bit by bit, you think, do you know what? Yes, there is a full book. All dogs are exciting and adventurous, yeah. and then there is Dicey, the fooligan, and he has a whole library all to himself, that one. How I am not grey or dead, <laughs> I have no idea, but, you know, we love a challenge, don't we?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I always say every dog is a different adventure, and the trick is, are you brave enough to go on that adventure?
1: You know? <laughs> Whether I would have been brave enough to be on the adventure had I have known what was coming in the adventure is a different story. But hey, we're here now, aren't we?
0: <laughs> Very good point. Very good point. Now, I've made some notes. You're a woman of many talents because you've got the canine first aid, agility. You're a great advocate for Ridge, uh, Rhodesian Ridgebacks, including your own lovely dogs. And we'll talk about them later. But I really wanted to talk about, to you about Ringcraft today.
1: So what is Ringcraft ring craft in essence is making your dog look as good as he possibly can in the show ring so we find that a rubbish handler can make the best dog in the world look decidedly average but conversely a great handler can make an average dog look really really good so if you want to do well with your dog in the show ring so things like crufts and championship dog shows all that kind of thing the better your handling is the better that pedestal you're going to put your dog on and he's going to look the best that he can be. So although it is all about the dog, it's not about you. It's about the dog. That's absolutely true. But the better you're handling, the better he looks as a result of that. So that's basically what it is. Yeah,
0: yeah. Now, in my innocence, before I tried to do some some showing with with Buddy, with my Labrador Buddy, I thought <laughs> that you just walked into the show ring with your dog and you kind of went, ta-da, there's my dog. <laughs> you know? you think, wouldn't you? Uh, yeah.
1: You would think. You can understand agility being difficult because you've got to train the dog to run about and do the equipment and all the rest of it, whereas showing how difficult can it be? Walk in, stand up, that's you. Oh, if only that were the case. Yes, yes. You never know how difficult it is to make a dog stand still and not move. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that you that, see, that uh, is the hardest thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I have to say, I, I mean, you're spot on there,
0: spot on, because I think Buddy was five. So, you know, he'd been a, a and, and was and remained a pet dog, obviously. But up till then, he just had a pet's life. And a pet's life is a wonderful thing. You know, I, I really believe that. But he'd been a, my pet. He'd been my my best friend and, you know, and always there for me. And I th- then I, uh, you know, as the idiot and on the other end of the lead, thought, I'll see if we can get to Crufts <laughs> And one route would be showing So I thought, I thought, as I say, you just walk into the show and into the ring and go, there's my dog. What do you think? No, no, no. Found a ring, craft class, went along. And the first thing was, because I had taught him from eight weeks old, I had taught him, sit is a good thing. You sit down, put your bottom on the floor, you're a good dog. Suddenly, strangers were walking up to him and his instinct, which I had encouraged, was, I sit down, I'm a good boy. And suddenly I was saying to him, no, 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 you have to stand up. That is such a a big step for a dog if you've had them as
1: if you hadn't realized you wanted to show them you've taught them sit that's a big thing isn't it that's exactly it literally I I teach not only in person but I do it over zoom as well so I've got a lot of clients as far away from Devon up to Aberdeen, people who I can't possibly get to to teach every week. But we do it on a one to one. And just last night, I had a brand new student with a nine-week-old whippet who is the most gorgeous little character, Wally. He's superb. Yeah. And I um, said to his his guardian last night, "Have you done any training with him?" And she said, "Well, no, not very much, but I have taught him to sit." So he's nine weeks old. She wants to show him, and the very first thing that she's taught him, having not not done this before is how to sit which is like the last thing that we would teach now a lot of people will say you should never teach a show dog to sit for exactly the reasons that you've stated and I, I get that I really do but I do think that our dogs are clever enough to understand the cue for sit and the cue for stand yes yeah no down they know come they know various different things so there's no reason why stand should be any more difficult for that so in actual fact while i agree with it and i know that people don't teach it my dogs are all taught to sit regardless and they're taught to do a stand in a completely different behavior but yes they they do so it's not insurmountable if they have been taught to sit we can absolutely get over that but yeah as a rule sitting in the show ring not a thing
0: no no i mean i have to say with, with buddy the other thing his his instinct as a Labrador, and he was a very good Labrador, um, was to lie on his back. So not only would he sit, he wanted to lie on his back and have tummy rubs. And so as soon as as um, the guy Terry, his name was, who, who sort of taught me ring craft, as soon as he approached, Buddy went onto his back. I'll have some tummy rubs, please. And it was like you can't do that in the showroom and uh, show ring. And you know we really had to work on those instincts which were good instincts in real life but as you say we had to teach and you couldn't say no 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 that's a not that I I don't say no 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 to dogs but you couldn't sort of be disappointed or or you know show any bad response because I took I was the fool that I had said to him for four or five years that's a good thing I couldn't turn around and go no so I had to just say okay we're going to learn other things and mm-hmm. I guess it's a good I, I do like in showing that I think that the best handlers have a good relationship with the dog. You can't go in and have the dog carrying away from you, can you? The dog's gotta to want to work for you.
1: No, I think it's it's like anything. You you learn better when you are having fun. Yes. And when you when you are being paid. Let's be realistic. If you ask me um to go and clean your gutters for you and said, here you are Kerry, here's fifty pence that's not a thing that's not going to happen but if you said to me you would like me to go and clean your guttering once a week and you will give me a million pounds every time I do it I'm going to be queuing to get up that ladder so if we can teach the dog that it's fun and that I'm going to pay you and reward you handsomely for everything I ask you to do they are throwing it at you because they want to do it so it might be some dogs are not food orientated and if that's the case it is a little bit more difficult but you have to rely on whether it's affection that they crave for from you or whether it's playing with a toy and having that one on one interaction, or just the happy, you know, the, the mum's happy and she's in a good mood. Great, I'm getting that kind of reinforcement. So, you need to find whatever the reinforcement that your dog prizes. And use that as your reinforcer to help them to do whatever it is. So if you've got a greedy dog like a Ridgeback or a Labrador in most (laughs) cases, that's super easy. You take your treats. You say, look what I've got. If you stand still, you can have one. All of a sudden they can stand still and then you give them the treat and then they think to themselves, hang on, what did I do to get that treat? If I do it again, it worked. I got another treat and that's it. They nail it very quickly that they know that if I do what I'm asked to do, I will get a prize. And all I'm asking you to do is stand still. I'm not asking you to get an abacus out. You know, it's quite straightforward. And if if they're going to get treated enough with something that they consider a high value prize, they will repeat the behaviour. So there's no need for pressure. There's no need for stringing the dogs up really tightly around the neck or dragging them around. It's 100% not necessary. And a dog who is doing it, because they want to please you, and because they want the reward, will always look so much more animated and enthusiastic, and that happy spirit that you want from a dog. You're going to see that there are some dogs that are so well, beautifully trained, and they do it absolutely perfectly, but they look kind of a bit like a robot, a mm. bit dead behind the eyes. And whilst yes, they're doing everything properly. I I confess I would still rather have one with a bit of a naughty streak who's going to look like he's having a really good time with his handler. And seeing that bond and that team that they have makes the whole, makes the package for me. It's not just doing the behaviour. It's look at me with my mum. I'm having the best time. And when I see that, that lights me up. It makes me grin from ear to ear. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Absolutely. And I think the brilliant thing about the being positive with them and being reward based with them. And we can't be 100% positive. I understand that. But if the worst thing that happens to them is you don't give them the treat, well, you know, they're so willing. Then, well, hang on, hang on. How do I get the treat? Hang on, I'll try this, I'll try that. And as you say, no stress on them. It's just, oh, I've got to work a bit, bit hard to do something different to get the treat. And that's, they're happier, aren't
1: they? They are. I think usually, to be fair, the dogs get it a lot quicker than we do. <laughs> yes. Because you ask them to do it and they go, yeah, all right then. And then you realise... You're at a dog show and people are watching you, and actually they're all watching you ringside. And I've forgotten everything I've ever been taught. I've lost it, and then the nerves kick in, and then and then and then and you completely have a meltdown, and your dog's going, "What's up with you?" Yes, they're completely (laughs) fine, but they're looking at you like you're a raving lunatic, and that's when they start doing behaviours that they've never done before. People often say to me, you know, they go to training and the dogs are amazing, and then they go in the show ring and the wheels fall off, and it's purely because they've got so panicked and so um at odds with themselves it travels down the lead the dog thinks well mum's doing something a bit weird and it makes them do something odd as well so things that they've never done before they suddenly start doing you thinking (laughs) why why did you do that in front of everybody but you know they will so if you're ever watching something like um something like with a lot of pressure on it you will find handlers who've been showing for ages and all day and they're absolutely fine but the higher up they get so they've won their class they've won the challenge they've gone into the group and every time they're winning they're getting closer and closer to that win that they crave their handling starts getting more fidgety and more fussy as the adrenaline kicks in more and more and this you you see even the best handlers doing some really daft things that they would normally never do yeah. just because the pressure's got to them and it gets to all of us oh yeah yeah absolutely
0: i mean we we only sort of played at it. And I think the best we got was um, oh, uh, highly commended. But I think we were in a class of like four. <laughs> we got highly commended because there wasn't anybody else. And he could have, you know, he could have just said, well, you weren't even worth highly commending you when you were number four. But he was kind. Oh, he
1: didn't
2: have to play to you,
1: to be fair to him. They can withhold sometimes if they really don't think that you're worthy of it. You can come away with absolutely nothing. Even if there's only two in the class, he might not do it. Oh. Oh, I or he might them. only place. he may only play second place. And he may think there is nobody here worthy of a first place, and so he may withhold the first place. Wow! I didn't know that.
0: Well, I think you've made me feel better now. Thank you very much. <laughs> but um, but I I totally identify with that because I would get so jangled, and and then that that would definitely go to Buddy, and he'd be like, "What's the matter with you? Should I be worried? What's going on?" You know. So yeah, I think part of it must be sort of getting your your own head in the right place. So let's talk about what we need the dog to do. So we've talked about them, they have to stand in a certain way. And they have to, sort of have to, I can remember, we, we used to walk back and forth with Buddy to sort of try and get him in a, he'd done back with um, uh, back to Music, so he understood that. And he, we sort of walked back and forth and then caught him in the right position and all treated him and things. But you can, I mean, how do you teach them to, because they, oh, we ought to say as well, all they all need to be shown in different
1: ways, don't they? But how do you teach them to? Get into well, that, you that. need you need to know what the breed standard is so you know what the, the silhouette is yeah. that you're actually aiming for. But essentially, for the majority of dogs, what you're looking for is a nice top line, which is their back. It must be nice and straight. Some breeds, it rises and falls. But for the majority, we're looking for a nice straight top line with the head up so that the head and the planes of the muzzle are um, even and they're parallel to the back. So if you've got that, you're roughly in the right position. The back legs, if you look down from where the dog's tail insert, where, he, where his bum is, where the tail goes in, if you look directly down, you should be able to see his toenails. That's so you know me. you've got them in the right place. If the feet come further back than that, you've got the dog overstretched. And if they're further forward, then he's too close together. So that's a good way of sort of helping you know where to put the back feet. The front legs, they should be dropped down straight from the shoulder in a straight line all the way down and a lot of people often position the front legs a little bit too far forward and you get a dog that looks a bit like a rocking horse with his you know standing out there the best way to get over that is literally to pick the dog up so if if this is the dog's shoulder to pick him up here lean him towards you so he takes the weight off and then let go he will automatically put his leg down he knows where his legs are supposed to go he's been born with them (laughs) yes let go of that leg. He'll pop it down. And where it is, is pretty much where it's supposed to be. Then you just match the one on the other side up to it. So that's called manual stacking. When you are manually picking the legs up and putting them where they need to be. A lot of dogs are not wild about being forced to be in a certain position. They like to do it themselves. And for me personally, I prefer to free stack my dog, which is, as you were saying, where they walk into it. The best way to teach your dog to free stack is really easy. You need a bucket load of tiny little really tasty treats. Mm -hmm. And all you're going to do is take a treat and you're going to throw it to your with your right hand, throw it to your left side about three feet. When the dog runs away to get the treat, you get another one ready and you hold it in front of you. As soon as they look up and see the treat. They run in and go to take it. Let them have a little nibble and a little lick, but don't let them get it. And then you're going to throw it away to your right-hand side. Yeah. And then when they look up, you have another one in your left hand. They run in. And then you throw that the other way. So they're running backwards and forwards like ping pong. Now, each time they run in, you let them lick it and taste it, but you don't actually let them have it. You throw it away so that they have to chase it. And this creates a dog that is enthusiastic and wants to run in because they know any minute now she's going to throw the treat. Brilliant. And they go again. So you're always going to get this upbeat, happy. So they run in. They hold it for just a split second and then you throw the treat away the other way. And over time, the length of time that you hold the treat for before you throw it away gets a little longer and a little longer so that they're holding that stack without moving, waiting for you to throw it. Great, she's done it. And it keeps them up on their toes and keen and enthusiastic. And it gets you a really lovely free stack that they've walked into themselves Without you messing around with their legs, and it's yeah. just an easy, kind way of doing it. Yeah,
0: yeah, Oh, I love that. I love that. That's it I, I'm positive and kind, and and putting the. It's dog centred, isn't it? I love it. Now, having said that, they do have to get used to having hands on them, don't they? Because they they sort of have to be examined by the judge, and they have to show their teeth. And so, I mean, the, again, it's it's nothing horrible, is it? But they, you do just just something to be used to, isn't it? It is,
1: and. You need to it's, it's nice to have lots of people touching them sort of at home, family and that kind of thing so that they're happy in general being touched. But when I would touch them, always let them know that you're coming. It doesn't want to be a surprise and run your hand down the body. So if I was going to touch a leg, I would actually start. On the dog's shoulder. If yes. I was going to touch a back leg, I would start on the front shoulder, and then I would slide my hand, smoothing them down their body and down the leg until I got to the foot, so that I could touch it. If you just grab a leg out of nowhere, it's a surprise and a shock, and they don't like that. They like to know what's coming. So with a firm hand. So don't be too, don't be too gentle and too airy fairy. Because if somebody came up to you and and if I went now, oh oh, uh, Ju- Julie, Ju-, you'd think you're a bit weird. Yeah. What's the matter with you? <laughs> If you touch them firmly, like confident that you know what you're doing, and just smooth them down their body and down to their leg, they're much more likely to let you touch them because they think you're not you're not a weirdo. Frankly, they think you're a, you're an all right kind of guy. You're okay, so you can touch me. But getting them used to being touched rewarding them consistently while they're doing it and even if you only get you know a split second of them being happy with it and then yeah brilliant have a reward for it and they will get used to it if they know the rewards are coming but if you've got a dog who is a little bit fearful and a little bit sensitive you're just going to have to give them more time more space and don't force them into it people um sometimes think that if you're frightened of something if we force you to do it you will get over that. Well, all I can say is I don't like spiders. And if you brought a spider into my face and held it there and said you will get used to it, no, I wouldn't. No. no. Eventually I'd freeze and shut down completely. And then when I got my first chance to leg it, I absolutely would. So we don't want to force the dogs into anything. If they genuinely are fearful of being touched then it's got to be very gentle with loads of space and distance and lots of reward bases. Don't force them into anything. You're just creating a history that's never going to be undone.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I totally, totally agree with that because I am not keen on wasps and bees. And my instinct is to run away. Now, I could, as you say, I could shut down. And I I can sort of keep it together and go, oh, okay, okay. I'll hold on, I'll hold on, hold on. I won't flap around. I'll, I'll, you know. But eventually, I, I do like freak out. But, but also, I'm not happy. I may be still. I may be doing the behaviour you wanted. I may be still whatever it is. But I'm not happy. And and if if push came to shove, you know, I might have have words with you. You know that you were making me do it.
1: No, um, best case scenario, my dog's just not happy worst case scenario will he react and bite or do something like that and what's he going to look like anyway because a dog who's not happy is going to be tail between the legs is going to be hunched up is going to be whale eye All of the things that we were talking about, a fun, enthusiastic, giddy dog who's a bit silly maybe, okay, but that's a happy dog. You don't want to see a dog that's clearly stressed and in under such pressure in the show ring. Nobody wants to see that. And I don't think it's something, you know, that we should be doing. So some dogs genuinely just don't like it. And if they don't want to show they don't want to show. Then you get born show offs who (laughs) strut into the ring like they think they're God and they look at me and then and there and that You can't teach that. When you get a dog who's a show off, it's an absolute, oh, it's a gift. It really is. You just need to teach him to stand still. All the pizzazz they've already got. And that is easy when you get a dog who just believes that he, frankly, is God and deserves everything. Yeah. Oh, bless them. Bless them.
0: And so as well as the the standing and the being examined and all this, you they've got to move in the ring, haven't they? You've got to sort of yeah. take them on the... Is it usually a triangle? I can't... I, I can only it, remember it, a
1: bit. You usually start with you'll do um, one lap around the ring hmm. with everybody so that everybody will move round together. Then when it's your turn, you'll be, you might be asked to do what's known as an up and down or an out and back, which is literally where you run away from the judge in a straight line and come back. Or you might be asked for a triangle, which is straight up, sharp turn left and then sharp turn again, diagonal straight back to the judge. And that gives the judge the opportunity to see the dog travelling away from the back the sidewards profile and then the front as the dog runs towards them so they can see exactly the way the dog's moving on all three different planes now the important thing to remember if you are moving the, the dog for your judge is don't come too close mm. work out how tall you think your judge is so if we say that we think our judge is six feet tall i want you to run into your judge but stop six feet away from him okay If you run really close up to your judge, you're so close that as the judge looks down to see the dog, he's just going to see a brown smudge because he's so close. If you can stop six feet away, the judge has got the perfect angle to view your dog and all the best lines of him. And he's going to see the best that you possibly can. So that's why often if you see a judge um, judging, if the person runs too close to them, you often see the judge walking backwards and doing this it's because I want you to stop I really can't see your dog you're so close so you need to just work out if the judge fell forward flat on their face where would the top of their head be that's where I'm going to stop and that's the best view that the judge can have of your dog is if that's how far away you are
0: yeah
1: well that's great great point I I wish I'd spoken to you
0: before years ago I mean, there's, there's way more. It's very complex, complicated business, really, and it's it's more than we could um, talk about today. Because I've just remembered we had conversations, didn't we, about the clothes you choose when you show your dog. Those have got to sort of. Um, I mean, let's have a quick mention of that. The clothes you choose can be vital, can't they? So, what kind of issues do we have to think about with with clothing?
1: There's several. So, um, you don't want to be too hot. Yes. So, not too many layers. You don't want anything that's loose and flappy. So, posh scarves and things. It's not a good look because it just flaps in the dog's face. That puts him off. You don't want a skirt that's too short. If you bend over, half of ringside are going to see whatever it is that you're wearing underneath. That's also not pleasant. Also, you don't want a skirt that's too tight. If you have a dog that's like a dachshund that you um literally are walking, you can get away with it. If you've got something like a ridgeback that has a reach and drive and is going to stride away, you're going to have to run. And if you can't run because you've got this beautiful pencil skirt on and you try running, you're going to be in trouble. So skirts need to be not too short and not too tight. Shoes need to be ones that you can um, run or walk in the speed that you need to show your dog. So a walking speed, you've maybe got a little bit more choice on what you're wearing on your feet. Something that's running, you need a stout pair of trainers or something with grip that's going to allow you to show the dog off at the right gait for him. Um, in Europe, ladies tend to wear um, suits or, or a blouse and a skirt. In um, the UK, we some people wear those and more people wear trousers as well. I personally am a trouser and blazer girl. That's what I prefer, if only because I can stride out in my trousers and my blazer has pockets in and it means I can put my bait in my pocket without having a bum bag that's flapping around or or sort of getting in my way or what have you. So I do tend to to put um, the bait in. I, I was looking for my sins for a new blazer um, one day and I was in Zara and this very lovely young um, uh, assistant came over and said, could she help? Was there anything I could do? And I was engrossed in this rack of suit jackets having a look. And knowing that my friend, my friend was with me and she'd known that I hadn't really clocked the assistant. And so she answered on my behalf and she said, is there anything I can get you? She said, yes. Have you got something I can put sausages in the pocket of? The <laughs> look on my face will go with me to my grave. It was, then I realised that not everybody looks to buy a suit that has sausages in the pocket. Just people who dog show. So, yes. oh, so if you are going to put your sausages or whatever it is in your pockets, you need to make sure that as you're running that the pockets are not so big that the sausages can bounce out and end up scattering all over the ring which is going to put your dog off and the dogs next to you as well so tight enough to to keep the sausages in but not so tight that you can't get your hands in and making it difficult for you so it's it seems like a silly thing to consider but actually it's quite important mm. to be able to treat quickly but not lose it in the middle of the floor as well yeah yeah i remember another
0: thing i remember was i tend to go in the winter for for like black opaque tights and i had a black labrador and then they, I, I, what i can't wear black opaque tights because the dog will
1: merge into my legs I, yeah it's supposed to be complimenting the dog um we don't want the dog to disappear as you're describing similarly though you don't want it to be all about you There are some very flashy people with some very flashy outfits and as marvellous as they are, it's not about you, missus, it's about your beautiful dog. So yeah, (laughs) there is a fine line between it. So often you find that dogs that are used for hunting and that kind of thing you may find a more hunty kind of vibe so like the black trousers and a blazer or you may find um other, some other breeds will um, go for a completely different look like a gun dog you might find tweed jackets or blazers might be you know the vogue so it depends There, there is kind of like a, a theme depending on what your dog is bred for as to what people select when they're showing
0: yeah, yeah, it's, I find it fascinating and I only dipped my toe in the water, but yeah, I really find it really interesting. Would you say, obviously there are things that you can practice at home doing with your dog, but would you say it's useful to join a club? And I asked this question because when we went to the club, well, it was it was just a class, but we we went once a week. And the one week this lovely golden retriever was there and she was she was like the Goldie Horn of the you know, the dog world. She was gorgeous. Even I could see she was gorgeous. And Buddy thought clearly thought she was gorgeous, and he just was like, I need to sniff her back end. I need to sniff her back end and and I you know, and the owner was saying, She's not in heat, I don't know what the problem is. Anyway, the next week she came back and she said she went into heat soon soon thereafter. And it showed me a different sign of Buddy because like he, there was no brain in him that week he was just like i need to sniff her i don't need to do anything else so there are experiences that you could sort of have in that group setting
1: aren't there so um, do, you, do you think it's it's useful to join a, a class or, or a club really, really important so I, w- I would say that there's 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 a couple of things so i would say get yourself a good trainer who can teach you what you need to know with regards to handling this is how he should handle. This is how he should hold a lead. This is what we can do to implement getting the behaviours that we're looking for. Then you go away and you practice those yourself. So your dog gets, you know, really fair with doing them. Then that's when your ringcraft class comes in. So once a week, you toddle off to your ringcraft class where there are going to be other dogs around and different people that he doesn't know, different dogs he doesn't know and judges available to go over the dog as well so that way you've been taught how to do it properly you've been and gone and practiced it now you're taking yourself off to your ring club to actually have a go and put it into practice and see if it works and if the wheels fall off or if you need to change something because that um distraction of other dogs around you is something that you can't replicate at home so no matter how well drilled and held how well your dog is trained until they get used to being able to cope with the distraction, you usually find that the dog is amazing. And then it goes to ring craft loses his head completely won't even stand still because there's so many distractions going on so ring craft is massively massively important and it also gives you that opportunity to practice with the dog standing still while a stranger touches them because that's quite odd and that's not something that happens to them a lot as well so there is absolutely a place for ring craft i believe you should um get a trainer and be taught properly and that's fantastic but the ring craft is really important as well and when you get good there pop yourself into a show and see what happens when you actually go. And, you know, that's definitely the way to do it. I know some people kind of think, because when you go to Ringcraft, there are a lot of people and you don't get a lot of goes and you don't get a lot of advice because you go, you have your little go next and that's you done. So they don't have time to really troubleshoot shoot with you and work out what's wrong and that's where a trainer is really going to help you but there is definitely no substitute for a ring, ring craft class because that adrenaline and the other dogs and the the strangers and things you have to learn the distractions and that is the place to do it
0: yeah yeah, absolutely. And so I, I found it was very supportive because when you had a bad experience at a show, whatever that was, you could go about and go, "Oh, it, you'll never guess what!" And you could tell them, and then you could share horror stories, and you know, find out it wasn't the worst thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, we we're very lucky. Um, my my club that I have um is the the Ringcraft Rebels, and they're all a nicer, a more supportive bunch of people I've never met. They are just they're just superb. And it means that not only do they come to the workshops together so they know each other, but we all compete in the dog showing and we kind of congregate. So you'll find at any particular show, there will be a little gaggle of rebels and everybody's there which means that when you need an emergency we there is somebody who can hold your dog <laughs> or when you want to leave your bags and everything on the floor nobody's going to pinch anything because the rebels are around you know to look out for you when the wheels fall off and it all goes wrong they're there to console you and when your dog does a runner out the ring and you need people to corral it all of a sudden <laughs> they're there for that as well so having that camaraderie because not you know, personally, I I go showing on my own. My, my husband doesn't come with me. It's not his thing. He would hate it. So I've always gone alone. So it makes it a social activity if when you get there, there are people that you know and you can really enjoy it, not just for doing the showing, but as a social event with your friends as well. So for all of us to meet up, yes, it's absolutely brilliant and we support each other and you're there to share all of the highs when things have gone great because there's nothing better. When your dog is up there in the ring and all your friends are inside and they're screaming for you, there is nothing better than that. So I would say... Find yourself a club with like minded people somewhere that is going to teach in a really positive, kind manner and and just enjoy it because dog showing is fun. Don't take it too seriously. Sometimes the politics can get involved in it. And if you if you're solely in it to win and you're going to go out with the politics all the time, you're going to come home some days with a face like a smack bum, to be quite (laughs) honest. So take it as it is. It's the judge's opinion on the day. We all know that we all bring the best dog home regardless. It doesn't matter what some person with a ribbon says. I know when I come home, my dog is the best one. And if you don't feel like that, you shouldn't be going anyway, to be quite honest.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the highs and lows of the realities of Ringcraft here we've got and showing this. is uh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Another thing that really surprised me when I started sort of dipping a toe in the water of the showing world if you like was how many different shows how many different category of show there are and that's like quite flummoxing so can you can you explain how many different types of shows there are and where what kind people should should try and start with Uh,
1: there are quite a few you're right so there are um your companion shows so they are just the basics. As it sounds, it's a companion. It's people who aren't, haven't really done showing before and they want to have a little go. Have a go is probably the best way to describe that. And then you have limited shows. A limit show is a show which is for the members of a certain um, canine association. So they will have probably one little show a year and it's just for their members. Now, having said, it's just for their members. Other people can go as well, but you would have to register and pay a membership fee so that you could then be um, a member of the club and go to it. So they um, don't score you any points for your kennel club, various different awards and things that you can get with the kennel club. You wouldn't get any points from a limit show. That's just to enjoy going um, to win your rosettes and to, to get your placings. Then you're going to have your open shows and open shows are pretty much where most people start with their their show career. There's ribbons on offer and um, you will have proper judges and it will be run in exactly the same way that a championship show is, but obviously much less prestige, usually smaller rings, very cold Oh, yeah. But we've all got to start somewhere. So it's definitely worth doing. Now, there are awards that, as I said, you can get. um, And one of those would be something like your junior warrant. Now, your junior warrant title is for dogs between six and 18 months of age. And you've got to score so many points during that time. And if you do, you get JW, junior warrant at the end of your name, which qualifies your dog for Crufts for Life. So wow. that's quite a big one. So it's a bit like um, championship for junior dogs, really. That That's what it is. And in order to do that, you've got to score at least seven points at an open show and at least three points at a championship show, which is very different. So when you score, you get one point. For every win that you get with more than two dogs there at an open show, which tells you you've got to win at least seven times in an open show to get enough points. And then as many as you want thereafter and a championship show, you get three points for a win. And that is you've got to beat at least two dogs in that one. So uh, sorry, at least at least another two dogs. So it's got to be three dogs in a championship show so you've got to beat two and two dogs in an open show you have to beat at least one yeah. and if you do that you get points and they all add up so this is where the different shows come in so your companion show is you you have a go your limit show is your members show your open show is your proper showing but not a championship show then you get something called a premier open show yeah which is top of the tree in open show land, basically. And the very top winners in that can qualify for Crufts from an open show. Usually you can only qualify from a championship show. Mm -hmm. But in a premier open show, if you're right at the top of the tree, you can qualify for Crufts from there. So then the next one above that is your championship show. And if you come first, second or third in a championship show, you qualify for Crufts. And only dogs that have qualified get to go. So if you haven't, you can't just rock up at Crufts and say, I want to do it. Having said that, it's basically the same as any champ show. The rules are the same. What happens there are the same. All the same dogs that are going to arrive. Just a hell of a lot more of them. But essentially, it's just a champ show. So try and keep your nerves in check because it's nothing special. It's just (laughs) the same. Just with a green carpet. But other than that, it's exactly the same.
0: Yeah, yeah. We we never made Crufts in the showing ring. We we made the, um, oh, the, the Ladies Kennel Club is held in, in the NEC, isn't it? We, we went to there. Yeah.
1: yeah, and LKA actually is taking place this week on Friday. This week, that's going to take place. And it's not at the NEC anymore. This year is the first year that it has been moved and it's going to be at Staffordshire uh, Showground instead. Oh, wow.
0: Oh right. Okay. Well there. You go so I wouldn't have got to walk on the green carpet in, <laughs> in the NEC nope. <laughs> this year. Oh well there. You go. I enjoyed that. It was um it was uh, you know we we had fun. We had fun with whatever we did but we you know it was all an experience and it was all to write about to be honest. So that was why we did it. But yes, it was it was good. There's, I mean the, as I say there's so much more we could talk about the the showing. We will tell people how they can get hold of you online and, and sort of benefit from your your um Knowledge and and maybe even have lessons with you. So that's brilliant. We'll we'll tell people about that. But wearing your other hats, I mean, you are, are a canine first aid expert as well, aren't you? So tell us a bit about um, uh, you know, yeah the, the canine first aid.
1: The canine first aid, um, I've been teaching canine first aid now since 2011. Um, So that's probably about 16,000 students have been through our doors now. So quite a few. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And it's basically a case of if something happens in your life, you ring for an ambulance. If you've got a poorly dog in the middle of nowhere, There's just you. So it's important whilst I am in no way suggesting we replace a vet because they are indispensable. Absolutely. But if there's just you and you're halfway up the side of a hill or a wood or something and something happens, you need to be able to take control of the situation, have the confidence and the knowledge to get everything stabilised so that by the time the dog does get to the vet, They have the best chance of a positive outcome that they possibly can do. So we teach all the big stuff like CPR and artificial respiration, which I know is what everybody always thinks about when they think about first aid. But we also teach how to deal with um, various different wounds and and how to recognize between them, um, how to deal with shock, because shock probably is the most important thing for anybody In a first aid capacity so if you can recognize it and know how to treat it and turn that around then that's something you're much more likely to come into contact with than ever needing to do snog the dog which you know is what people always think about so there are a lot of basics in it um, that's very easy for me to teach you but it's going to give you that confidence so when you really need it you feel like you're ready for this and you can do it and that you haven't let anybody down Of course, you haven't let anybody down, but people always do feel they could have done so much more. So if you know in advance what you need to do before you need to do it, Definitely better that way around than wishing you had after the fact. Yeah,
0: definitely, absolutely. And I think you have some brilliant advice, and I'll put the link in the show notes for this episode where when I interviewed you before, because you've got some brilliant advice about little things that you can take with you and equipment you can have with you and your little travel first aid kit, you know, <laughs> and that, that make can make all the difference in the world. So that's and it's brilliant. I think everybody should should do that. So um, yeah, I, yeah, I
1: think the most important thing you can possibly carry with you out of everything. Is a roll of vet wrap. Mm. Vet wrap is the best thing you can possibly have. If you've got a bleed, you can bandage it. If you twist or sprain your own ankle, you have a bandage for that. If you lose your lead or find a stray dog, you've got a spare lead that you can use for that. If you need to do anything at all, make a muzzle even, you can do that with your vet wrap. It's very light, it takes up no room at all, and it's so multifaceted. I would say, out of everything, get a roll of vet wrap in your pocket. It's your friend.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'd See, brilliant advice. I love it. I love it. And, and it just makes you feel so much more prepared and able to face yeah. life with the dog. Because if they can get into danger, they you know they often do, can't they, dogs? So there you
1: go. Yeah, and they will make sure that it's not in office hours, on a bank holiday, at night or on a Sunday. They never get sick when the vets are open. Ever, ever, ever.
0: No, never at your convenience. No, no I know. Ever. Absolutely, absolutely. Another, What th- there's so much I want to talk to you about, but... You <laughs> you do agility with your dogs. I do, yeah. Your dogs are Rhodesian Ridgebacks. They're very tall dogs. Is this an advantage to have a tall dog? Because I sort of look at it and go, oh, nice tall dog. You'll get over the jumps. But what's the reality of doing agility with, with your tall dogs?
1: Uh, nice tall dog has a very long stride, can run fast in straight lines. <laughs> Is what I would say. You know, yeah. doing that around the outside of the ring, they eat it up, they go super fast, they're amazing. However, in the tunnel, these dogs um, are, my, my boys are 26 inches, 27 inches to the shoulder. Yeah. A tunnel is about 24 inches wow. in diameter. Wow. So they have to scrunch down. Yeah. A bit like a spider to to even get through it. Where you see something like a collie or a spaniel, they run because they fit. My boys can't do that, so that's a disadvantage. Going through the weave poles, the weave poles are so close together and my boys are so long that they have to bend in three different angles to get around them. A collie or a spaniel just does this. That's a disadvantage. The dog walk is only this wide. My boy's chest is this wide. They have to walk across it like a supermodel wow. a collie or a spaniel they just run that's yeah. a disadvantage so it all wears round for large dogs not not just the fact yes they can jump high of course they can they're big dogs but they weigh a lot and that amount of kinetic power going through the joints the takeoff and landing elbows and hips and knees it's really hard going for a large dog because they're landing with so much power that the, re- the re- chances of injury are much higher as well so in actual fact a large dog no it's not an advantage no. at all not in any way shape or form in fact they're penalized yeah yeah gosh that's dreadful actually now they
0: because they measure dogs are measured aren't they when they do agility and they're sort of put into sizes and that's for the the jumps why on earth don't they account for larger breeds and give you or, you know, make available larger tunnels
1: and more spacing on the on the weaves. That's ridiculous. Predominantly because the agility world is all about the collies. They're the yeah. clever ones. We know that collies are super intelligent and really clever and they're brilliant at agility. You can't dress it up anyway. They are amazing at oh, what yeah, they do. Yeah. And so a lot of the top handlers will always have a collie because they're going to be the best at doing the job. So everything caters for what the collies and the spaniels and that kind of thing, it fits around them. If that's what you're interested in, why would you spend so much money in creating bigger tunnels, bigger weaves, bigger everything for a breed that actually you're not really interested in? Because really all you're interested in the collies anyway, and the Ridgebacks can have a go if they want, but nobody's really encouraging you to do that because it's all about the final speed and that elite performance that really you get from the collies they are top of the tree they are absolutely wonderful but it does mean that for the larger breed that's really really difficult and nobody's got any interest in making things like the weaves when a collie goes through the weaves the weaves are here so yeah. they can do they can see when a ridgeback does it is here so it, it kind of can't even see yeah. where where it is in Europe. The poles are really high, so they don't have that problem in England and in in the UK. They're a lot shorter. So if we had even having European height poles would be really really helpful to yeah. give them a, a chance of competing. So when they're on the straight and they're doing a course that's flowing, a ridgeback will definitely give you a run for his money. But if it's really tight and twisty, very difficult. It's a bit like watching. Um, one of those super tankers trying to turn (laughs) they can't keep up with a a race car you can't do you know quick agile mobility with it so as good as they are that's what's going to make it difficult but I do agility with Ridgebacks because I love Ridgebacks and I want to do things with my dogs I don't have the dog to do the sports If you see what I mean, I already have the dog. I see what's available rather than thinking I want to do agility, therefore I must buy a collie. Because a number of people have said to me, Are you going to get a collie now? So that you can be on a level playing field. Absolutely not. I've got no interest in getting a collie whatsoever. I like a hound. I like a challenge. So (laughs) I like my ridges. That's what, you know, sue me. That's what I am. I'm never going to be, you know. World breaking in the agility, but I do like a goofball, and we have a lot of fun doing it. So we do it regardless.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's what it's all about. That because most of the time you're not on an agility field, you're at home, and and you want the dog, or out on a walk, or whatever. But you want the dog with you that you want to live with, and that's that's to me that's the point of it. Yeah,
1: ab- absolutely, and you know that. They, they will They will give you a run for your money. I mean, they, they can eat three fields up in 10 seconds flat. They can do a five bar gate from a standstill. You know, they can be over three, you know, three of those great big round hay bales and straight over the top of it. They, they are absolutely more than capable of doing it. It's just that a lot of Ridgebacks would take a look and say, why would you do that? Yeah. Why would I jump it when I can run around yeah. it? Why <laughs> sweat if I don't have to? So the 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 a lot of ridgebacks do you know kind of look at you like you're insane and don't see the point. And then the other half of them are quite happy. Like at Dicey, all he wants to do is running, jumping, and shouting. And if he can do that, he is a happy boy.
0: <laughs> well, on that note, tell us about your dogs, please, because they're gorgeous.
1: I'm currently um, just down to two. We sadly lost Rim, Bob, my old boy, he was 13. We, lo- we lost him last year. Yeah. So we have Dice and we have Coda, and they are uncle and nephew. Yeah. Um, and Dice will be five crooks this year. It will be his birthday. He will be five. Yeah. can't believe he's got to five and he's still alive, quite frankly. It's, you know, it's a miracle. <laughs> but he is, as I say, all about the running, jumping, shouting, and generally, not to 60, in the blink of an eye, he just adores life at full blast. And then I have Coda, his nephew. And Coda was three last week. And Coda is the supermodel. Yeah. He's already a champion. He goes into the show ring. I'm surprised he doesn't just throw the lead at me and say, Mother, stay out there. I don't need you. Because, frankly, he doesn't. And he will strut in and wholly expect to win everything. So he is super handsome. Absolutely the in my opinion, the best-looking ridgeback I've ever seen in my life. He's amazing, but the nutter—that's the fooligan—and he's the one who has my heart completely. So, it, you know, it really depends what it is. Horses for courses. It's what you want. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. And they're all—they're all different. That's the thing. I mean, they—they they obviously look very similar. You know, when you when you see people with several dogs of the same breed, particularly the same color. You know, but they're all their own little. I'm sure you can tell them apart like that. But oh,
1: in <sighs> in the dark. Yes, in the dark, yeah. I can tell them apart from how they breathe, how they feel, how their fur is, mannerisms, the way, the movements that they make. You you know instantly who everybody is. You know at, at such a you know at the yeah. drop of a hat, and and really that difference is is what is what makes you it spurs you on when you lose one and you get another, you never replace them. Oh, no. Because no. you never get the same one back again. It's always some, another lunatic <laughs> that you didn't know existed, and now you've got that one to deal with. And that's very much, you know, where we are with these. As I say, Dicey loves doing his agility. He's absolutely fabulous at it. He's super quick. He's probably the fastest Ridgeback I've ever had where agility is concerned. He's amazing. Koda is very particular, very um accurate, with what he does, and it transpires, afraid of heights. Oh yes, I saw your post the other day. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah. Actually, afraid of heights. It's taken me so long to get him comfortably over the airframe, then comfortably over the dog walk, and then onto the seesaw. Once he gets to be able to do it, he's really good. But that initial anything that's a tiny bit high, no, nah, absolutely not. So yesterday or the day before, I was I was training in um it was like a big a big pet store and we were upstairs above the shop floor on a mezzanine floor that had um, a glass partition at the end so you couldn't fall off the end it didn't occur to me one minute that this was going to be scary because it was all safe and they couldn't fall off and everything was fine and literally coda walked in saw it panicked and walked you know hunkered down like really really scary stopped about six feet away from the glass and you could see him stretching his neck and every sinew to look at the shop floor but he wouldn't go to the end because it was so high up and it was at that point that I realized you know what I think this dog is actually afraid of heights and this is why he has struggled so much with things like the dog walk because it's high off the ground whereas You know, Dice, complete lunatic, no risk assessment whatsoever, (laughs) will hurl himself at anything. So, you know, completely different dogs and different different natures and personalities. So, you know, if you read the breed standard and what you expect from a Ridgeback, one of the things that it says is aloof with strangers. Yeah. Yeah. My two didn't get the memo. Absolutely (laughs) not aloof. They want to be on you, in you, under your jumper, loving you as much as they possibly can. Whereas Rain, my last one, he was aloof with strangers. Mm. Axel, the first one, he wanted loving, cuddling and squeezing. And Chai thought everybody was beneath him and he really shouldn't have anything to do with any of you. Quite frankly, <laughs> Don't touch me. Don't touch me. So, you know, and this is supposedly all dogs of the same breed. So, yes, read the breed standard. Yes, check out what they were bred to do. But do expect an awful lot of variation in parameters from one side to the other because they're so different. Yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, they they're gorgeous, and you have such fun with them. I, I love reading your posts about them.
1: They are my best friends, which is just as well because who I'm married to, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love reading
0: about him as well. Um, it, it's all good fun, all good fun. So obviously, I've said several times it's a huge subject, and we can't possibly cover it all. But is there
1: anything else that you'd like to say tonight?: Um, yeah, if you're going to do showing, do it kind. Yeah. Do it with fun. What I always say to my Ringcraft rebels, when you get in the ring, stick your chest out. Be proud of yourself and your dog. If you don't believe that they are capable and that they are the best, how is anybody going to believe it when they see it? You have to believe it yourself first and foremost and stick a smile on your face. It's a performance, first and foremost, but you are supposed to be having a really good time with your furry companion. So you should be enjoying it. It shouldn't be torture. It shouldn't be so much of a panic that you think, I wish I'd stayed at home. My God, this is awful. You should be enjoying it. And you will find if you're smiling and if you're enjoying it, your dog will enjoy it a lot more. And you will both appear more at one with one another and a much nicer Team Bond, you'll be able to see it and people will appreciate it as well. So you are um, going forward an ambassador for your breed and for dog showing in general. So the more people I can convince to do it in a kind, gentle manner, force free with lots of positivity then that reputation is going to spread throughout the dog showing world and members of the general public who are watching will not think that we're all just in it for the money which incidentally there is no money no. in showing whatsoever absolutely no. not oh, you i think if you win if you win crufts completely the whole thing I think I'm right in saying it's 250 pounds you win. Oh wow! <laughs> Literally, that's it, and that's for 22,000 dogs you have to beat to get there. Yeah. You get yeah. 250 quid. So nobody's oh. in it for the money. No. Absolutely not. But you've got to, you've got to promote that really nice way of being. The the old school, yanking a dog, pinning them down, dominance, all of that. That's so went out with the dinosaurs. Yeah. If you want yeah. to get the best out of your dog. They've got to be your best mate and you've got to pay them handsomely for whatever it is you're asking them to do. Yeah. yeah. End of.
0: Brilliant advice. Spot on. Absolutely agree. And I mean, going back to the money, I, I found it very expensive, like a, as a as a hobby or an activity, it's very
1: expensive. Yeah, do you know anybody who wants to buy a new kidney? Because I'm selling one of mine. It's the only way I'm going to carry on doing what I'm doing. <laughs> I'll put that in the show notes as well. <laughs> yeah, available. One careful owner. Well, not that careful, but one owner. <laughs>
0: We can't say slightly used, can we? <laughs> no.
1: Slightly abused, maybe. I don't know about anything else, but yeah. <laughs> brilliant. You've been brilliant
0: as ever. Where can people find out more about you online?
1: If they are interested in showing, you can find me on Facebook at Roads to Ringcraft. And that's Roads R-H-O-D-E-S. And we have um, a Ringcraft page on there. If you like what you see and you want to get in touch, we can do some training with you. If you do train with us, then you get to become a RingCraft Rebel. And RingCraft Rebels has its own private group on which we post tips, videos, files, photos, people ask questions. We share results and all of those kind of things together as well. We even have a little dog show twice a year that we do where we have a proper judge, rosettes, trophies, absolutely everything. So Roads to RingCraft is where you need to find us and you'll find all my availability for any training that we can do either one-to-ones in person, the workshops in a group, or one-to-ones online if you're too far away to get to us in person as well. If it's the first aid that you're interested in, you can find that um, on Facebook as well at Roads to Safety Canine First Aid Training or on my website which is www roads to safety.com
0: smashing we'll put all those links in because i'm sure people will want to find you and find out more um it's been a pleasure as ever talking to you um and and we'll we'll do it again i'm sure because it's been great and people will want more and and thank you ever so much and the best of luck with your your lovely dogs even the fooligan
1: (laughs) Oh, yes. As I say, you know, we will either, you know, go into the heights and everybody will remember us forever or we will die horribly. It'll be one or the other. There's nothing in between. But, you know, we'll enjoy the challenge on the way. But thank you so much for having us, Julie. We've really enjoyed it.
0: Thanks to Kerry for all those insights into the dog showing world. The links she mentioned are all in the show notes for this episode at dogcastradio.com. A couple of things I want to follow up on from that interview. Have you known a dog who's afraid of heights? And if you train or compete in agility with a large breed and feel your dog is at a disadvantage because of their size, I'd love to hear from you. Maybe we can raise awareness or maybe start a campaign for equity. With Christmas just a few days away as this podcast goes live, I've had media enquiries this week asking about giving dogs Christmas presents. This is always flattering and a bit scary because it means I have to marshal my random thoughts on the subject at hand into something that resembles a policy However, since I usually have many thoughts on all dog-related issues, it's not too big an ask. With regard to Christmas presents for dogs, I think it actually doesn't matter whether you do or don't give your dog a Christmas gift, because at the end of the day, they won't know it's Christmas, and so they won't feel slighted or left out. That said, I do feel that our dogs should be regarded as one of the family, and so including them on the present list isn't silly or in any way unacceptable. What does worry me? is anyone feeling under pressure to splash the cash on their dog, because dogs don't have any concept of how much you've spent on them. And honestly, sometimes spending too much can just complicate things and lead to misjudgments. When I saw an article about a rich person creating a luxury cottage for their dog in the garden, all it conjured up for me was an image of the poor dog in isolation, albeit splendid isolation, stuck out in what is basically an overpriced kennel. So what does a dog want for Christmas? Exactly what they want every other day of the year. Your attention, company and love. Over the years, we've bought our dogs various toys and treats, but Mischief is very easy to please because we've gradually realised that what she really finds fun is some tasty treats scrunched up in some paper, wrapping or otherwise, which she can nose and pour around until she's extracted all the food from it. She also likes us to roll wrapping paper into a ball and throw it for her to chase. Although, she isn't into retrieving it, so we just have to keep rolling and throwing and then eventually clear up all the mess ourselves. I'm not against spending on your dog at Christmas. I just think the focus should be on their needs. So, while some dogs might appreciate an orthopaedic bed, for example, so far, Mischief has shown no interest in the beds we've bought her, preferring our laps, the sofa or occasionally an old pillow we've let her have, as it was at the end of its life with regard to our bed. In these days of rising prices and everyone feeling the financial pinch, there are lots of low-cost ways to give your dog some fun this Christmas. We've scrunched up paper in a large box in which we hide treats for mischief to dig around and find. You can play a game of sniff out the treat by hiding tasty morsels under one of three upturned plant pots. You can pop a chew into a washed out plastic milk container to let your dog get their brain working to access the chew by upturning the bottle. Perhaps simplest of all, let your dog take all the time they want to have a really good sniff around on the dog walk. I'd love to know your thoughts on this. Do you spend, spend, spend on your dog? Or are you more bar humbug? And what constitutes a really good present for a dog? Well, that's all we have time for. So until next time and next year... with the ident Dog Cast Radio. That's all one word, Dog Cast Radio. By email, you can contact me on julie at dogcastradio.com. When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way, we can include them directly in our program. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com. What kind of dog doesn't like Christmas? A bar hum pug.